Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you in church today and online with us. Um, Well, we're finding... God in the music. For our 13th year we're doing this. This year we're, we're in the 80s, 80s edition. This is track four. And uh, so who's the artist? Well, it's the greatest artist, the greatest band to come out of the 80s. If not the greatest, I mean, I think they are, but certainly the biggest band to come out of the 80s, and that should give it away, that would be you too. Mm-hmm. Now, this is, this is Finding God in the Music, song sermon number 78. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Uh, and you probably think that, that the one who has the most songs in Finding God in the Music is Bob Dylan, but no, it's not. Uh, Dylan's been six times in this series, but this is now the seventh for you too, which is, I always kind of think it's kind of cheating because every song, they, they're just a bunch of Christians that are singing kind of opaquely about spirituality and all sorts of things, so they're just the easiest band to, to use. Uh, so we know who the artist is, uh, we know it's from the 80s, well what album? Because in the 80s, that's when they began, um, in the 80s, U2 released six albums, beginning with Boy in 1980 up to Rattle and Hum in 1989. So what album? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's U2's best album. Now, this could maybe be disputable. Uh, my good friend and U2 super fan, Jonathan Martin, uh, says that it's Octune Baby. But it's not. It's, uh, that's their second best album. Their best album is, is The Joshua Tree. Oh, my goodness. You see, you have these, these four Irish lads from Dublin who are all in the same high school together, and a kid named Larry Mullen Jr. puts a little you know, thing on the bulletin board. He wants to start a band. And these other three guys said, okay, let's have a band. They, this was 1976. They were 14 and 15. And uh, they come out with their first album in 1980. By 82, they were, they were, you know, a popular rock band. They were known. They were doing great. But in 1987, with the release of The Joshua Tree, they became the biggest band in the world and probably still are the biggest rock band in the world. Uh, that album alone sold 25 million copies. I call um, Joshua Tree, well, in my mind, it's, it's one of 10 near perfect albums. Um, I have listened to that. I don't know how many times I've listened. I've never not been listening to it from 1987 till now. It just it's always remains current. Absolutely love that album. Um, in 2017, it was, it was 30 years later. 
It was the 30th anniversary of the release of the Joshua Tree album. Perry and I were in Ireland, and I preached on a Sunday morning in a church in Belfast, and during the announcement time, they, they were announcing that tonight our, our church, you know, our musicians and all of that, are going to perform the Joshua Tree, all 11 tracks in order. And Perry leaned over and says, I'm going to that. I had to preach some other church, <laughs> or I would have been there for that. I think that's just the coolest thing I've ever heard of, that a church on a Sunday night would perform the entire Joshua Tree album. Uh, so now we know, the, we know the artist, we know the album, but what song? Because there's so many good songs on that album. The first five songs are, are just perfect. Um, I'm going with the second track. It's a song that occupies a very special place in my heart. I don't just mean I like it, although I do. I like it a lot. But it's more than, it's deeper than that. There is a, it occupies a very deep and special place in my heart. And to be honest, I'm surprised that it took me 13 years to get to this song. I'm surprised I didn't use it the first year. But the song is, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Such a good song. Now, we're going to show the video, and as you know, onliners, uh, we're, not even, we're not putting the lyrics on the video, so just go anywhere. I mean, it's on YouTube, and I've been viewed a billion times or something. Just go to YouTube, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Their official video is there, and then you can come back here. It's easy enough to find. Uh, we're not putting up the lyrics. I didn't want that to get in the way. You can hear them, and they're fine. But it's lyrics like, uh, I believe in kingdom come. Then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds, you loosed the chains, you carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You too, I still haven't found what I'm looking for.
Hallelujah. After 34 years, that song still gives me goosebumps and often brings a tear to my eye. A few years ago, I wrote this book, Water to Wine, Some of My Story. A lot of you onlineers, that's how you first found us, is you read this book. And it connected with you because it's your story too. Here's how the book begins. Page one. I was halfway to 90, midway through life, and I'd reached a full-blown crisis. Call it a garden variety midlife crisis if you want, but it was something more. You might say it was a theological crisis, though that makes it sound too cerebral. The unease I felt came from a deeper place than a mental file labeled theology. To borrow some King James-style language, my soul was disquieted within me. It was like I was singing over and over the U2 song, I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? They came and saw where he was staying. And they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. I was in your presence for an hour or so. Or was it a day I truly don't know? Where the sun never set, where the trees hung low beside that soft and shining sea. Did you respect me for what I did? Or for what I didn't do or for keeping it hid? Did I lose my mind when I tried to get rid of everything you see? So, there's these two young men, probably just teenagers, probably teenagers. Andrew, the son of, Zeb, uh, the son of Jonah, and uh, John, the son of Zebedee. And these probably teenagers... Think of them as like 18 or 19. Are disciples of the firebrand from the wilderness, John the Baptist. And one day Jesus is walking by and their teacher, John the Baptist, says, there goes the Lamb of God. And so John and Andrew start following Jesus. They're just following him. And Jesus stops, and he turns around, and he says, what are you looking for? I mean, that's the question. 
What what are you looking for? They said, where are you staying? Jesus said, come and see. And they spent the day with Jesus. And John remembers it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It's something he's not going to forget. Because what? Because that's when it all began. When at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, John spent the rest of the day with Jesus. As it would turn out, he would spend the rest of his life with Jesus. As it turns out, he will spend eternity with Jesus. But it begins at 4 o'clock on this afternoon. In the summer of 1974, I was 15. And one of my jobs was to clean my dad's law offices on Saturdays. There would be nobody there. I would go in. I would, you know, empty the waste baskets, dust, mow the grass in the alley behind the building. And I was in there one day. It was the summer of 1974. I was 15. And I was in the library, you know. Law offices have these law libraries with all these books, all these law books. And I was on a ladder to get up to the top shelf, and I had my feather duster, and I'm dusting. And I started thinking about God. Just thinking about God. See, I don't know why I was thinking about God, but it just came to me to think about God. And I thought, well, it doesn't seem fair that God is responsible for all that is. I mean, I just, I've never been able to really understand atheism. It just, I mean, I want to be respectful, but it seems like just a complete breakdown in logic. I mean, we're here. Why is there something instead of nothing? Now, you can kick the can down the road and say, because, 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 because. But eventually, you're going to run out of becauses, and you're going to find God. I mean, I knew that at 15. And I thought, well, I don't know God. Now, you understand, I went to church. I mean, that was not, a, that was not something we negotiated. <laughs> I went to church. So I could, I could give you, you know, a, a decent summary of the Christian understanding of God, I suppose. But that isn't the same as knowing God. And so I I prayed. I said, God, I want to know you. Now listen, this did not come from a place of piety. This was not me being spiritual. If you'd known me in the summer of 1974, you would not have described me as pious or devout at all. I said, God, I want to know you, not because I was, you know, pious and spiritual and devout, but because I was curious But curiosity might be too weak a word because it came from very deep within me. I thought, I am hurled into this thing called being because of God, and I don't know God, and that doesn't seem fair. There was actually more anger in my prayer. God, I want to know you. It was more like that. In fact, I remember shouting, I want to know you. And then I began to cry. It was very strange. 
Very strange. Four months later, I had a dramatic encounter with Jesus Christ. I've told that story many times. November 9th, 1974, I encountered Jesus. Now, are those two things related? Yes. God, I want to know you. Who are you? I want to know you. Four months later, I encountered Jesus. Because God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time when God wasn't like Jesus. I didn't know it then, but I do now. And I encountered Jesus. So, on November 9th, 1974, had I found what I was looking for? Yes and no. I had encountered Jesus. There was no doubt about that. And it changed everything. I mean, it changed everything. But the journey is ongoing. I raised the question. I submitted the petition in the summer of 74. God, I want to know you. Not from a place of piety or devotion, but just out of... I felt I, felt I was owed an explanation. And then four months later, I encounter... Jesus Christ. So had I found what I was looking for? Yes and no. But that was just the beginning. That wasn't the end. That was, that was the four o'clock in the afternoon thing for John. Because we're just starting out here, folks. Because the journey is ongoing, and I suspect it may be ongoing eternally. I mean, do we ever arrive at the point where we say, now I know it all about God. I doubt that that's the case. Now, when John followed Jesus at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and spent the day with him, had John found what he was looking for? Yes, in the sense that, uh, yes, but was the search over? I mean, John doesn't say, ah, we found the Messiah. That's that. All done. Mission accomplished. No, it's the beginning. It's not the end. It's not the conclusion of the matter. It's where it starts. Almost everything was yet to come. This is when John starts with Jesus. Not ends. Starts. So he found what he's looking for, but it's just the beginning. And so John is now going to follow Jesus. And he's going to be with him in Galilee. Hear his sermons and see his miracles. And then he's going to follow Jesus to Jerusalem where Jesus is crucified and raised. And then John is going to keep following Jesus, and he's eventually going to get around to writing his gospel. I found Jesus at 15. I really did. And everyone that knew me then will tell you that I dramatically changed overnight. It doesn't have to be that way, but it was for me. When I say, I mean, everybody knew. Everybody that knew me knew that suddenly Fry was way different. All my schoolmates knew it, and they would ask me about it. Teachers asked me, what happened to you, Fry? I said, I encountered Jesus. But was it the end? 
had I found all that I was looking for. I mean, it would have been a tragedy if I'd thought of it like that. Well, I'm saved. Yep, that's taken care of. I'm saved now. Don't have to give that another moment of thought. Taking care of that, check that off the list. I'm saved. You broke the bonds. You loosed the chains. You carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That kind of holy yearning is what saved me again 30 years ago. Some of you people think, you know, well, you can only get saved once. You better get saved like as many times as you need to get saved. <laughs> In fact, we should maybe just use the word rescue because saved carries all these weird connotations. Just say, I mean, how many times do you need to be rescued? As many times as you're in trouble. It was like I was singing over and over the U2 song, I have climbed the highest mountain, I have run through the fields only to be with you, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I was wrestling with the uneasy feeling that the faith I had built my life around was somehow deficient, not wrong, but lacking. It seemed watery, weak. In my most honest moments, I couldn't help but notice that the faith I knew seemed to lack the kind of robust authenticity that made Jesus so fascinating. And I'd always been utterly fascinated by Jesus. Jesus wasn't in question, but Christianity American style was. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you through which you are being saved. Not saved, but being saved. It's ongoing, perpetual present tense, being, being saved. So at 15, I was saved, let's say rescued. I was rescued by Jesus, and I needed to be rescued. I don't talk about this much, but I was on, I was at the beginning of some very destructive paths. I shudder to think what I would have been like at 19 if Jesus hadn't rescued me at 15. I was not like my brother and sister. <laughs> they were good kids. I was not on my way to being a good kid. So, I was rescued by Jesus just about the time I was venturing on to some very destructive paths. 30 years later, at 45, 30 years later, Jesus rescued me again because I was again in a very dangerous place. But very different. Nothing like the dangerous place I was in. I mean, that was a very tenuous moment in my life. And I was already taking the first steps on a very destructive path. 30 years later, I was again in a dangerous place, but it wasn't any place like that. It was completely different. It was a different danger. 30 years ago, the Christianity that I knew was too thin, too weak, too watery to resist the powerful forces of cultural 
compromise. Easy, cheesy, cotton candy Christianity was not going to be enough to rescue me. It was not going to be enough to bring me to the place where I needed to be. But the saving grace was this. I knew that I still hadn't found what I was looking for. That's why this song means so much to me. I remember writing a piece on that song way back in the, I don't know when it was. It was prior to blogs. Because I would have blogged it, but it didn't exist yet. That wasn't a thing. It was like for a newsletter that I would send out to the church a long time ago. The saving grace, when I was in spiritual danger 30 years ago, because I didn't have the resources, because my easy, cheesy, cotton candy Christianity was too weak, too watery, too thin to be able to resist effectively the cultural forces of compromise. The saving grace was I knew I hadn't arrived yet that I still hadn't found what I was looking for. To get where I needed to be, I had to leave behind a lot and risk everything. Did you respect me for what I did or for what I didn't do or for keeping it hid? Did I lose my mind when I tried to get rid of everything you see? See, I have my constant and I have my quest. I have my constant and I have my quest and I need them both. My constant is that I believe in Jesus. You can take that to the bank. BZ believes in Jesus. That's my constant. That's my starting point. I don't, I don't arrive at Jesus from, I don't start and then I end up, no, I, that's where I start from. That's my constant. That's non-negotiable. I believe in Jesus. My quest is to find my life fully lived in the, life, in the light of Christ. Okay? My constant is that I believe in Jesus. My quest is to find my life fully lived in the light of Christ. And to that I say, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I have my constant. You need both. Without a constant, you know, you can start, you say, it's all a journey and we're on a quest and who knows where you'll end up. You'll be lost in the woods somewhere. We'll have to come rescue you. Get a search and rescue team together. Go find you. Lost in the woods of deconstruction. You need your constant, but you can't just sit there with your constant. You also have to go on the quest. John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John 14, 6 is not the membership card to the Christian club. It's a call to the holy quest. I mean, people, you know, use John 14, 6 as like their membership card to the Christian club. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Fine. So do I. But here's the thing. Jesus is the way, but you've got to walk the way. Jesus is the truth, but you've got to discern that truth. Jesus is the life, but you have to live that life. It's not a membership card. It's a call to the holy quest. 
At 15 and at 45, I had significant, life-altering encounters with Jesus. Yes, there were others along the way, but there were those two big ones, being born again and born again again. And I can't tell you which conversion was more radical, more necessary. I, I needed to get saved both those times. At 15 and at 45. So at 45, I made significant theological changes that affected how I preach and how I pastor. That scared some people. But I wish they could have understood that the constant of Jesus was always there. Intransigence is also dangerous. People say, oh, you start changing, that's dangerous. It's all risky, brother. It's all risky. Everything's always in play. But I tell you, intransigence, saying, I'm not going to change. Here I am. Here I stand. I'm not going to change. I'm, that's it. That's dangerous, too. Very dangerous. So today, my faith in Jesus is deeper and richer, more beautiful than I could ever have imagined. I've never been happier to be a Christian than today. Someone asked me recently, they said, uh, when you started off, could you have imagined where you'd end up? I said, what kind of ridiculous question is that? Of course not. No, no, there's no way I could conceive that. And I don't even know where I'm going to end up further down the road, but I have my constant, and it will be with Jesus. That's what it'll be. Part of what has made my capacity to grow and to change, I'm speaking rather frankly here, part of what has made change and growth a possibility for me as I get older is I keep saying I still haven't found what I'm looking for so that I still haven't found what I'm looking for is really just another way of saying I'm still trying I'm still seeking I'm still following Jesus I know who it is, it's Jesus. Where we're going to go is more up to him than me. And so I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's just really another way of saying I'm still on the quest. I'm still seeking. I'm still trying. I'm still following Jesus, and I'm ready to go wherever he leads me. Amen and amen. Stand up with me. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, hear me. Lord Jesus, you are our constant and you are our quest. You're both things. You're our constant, so we pray, may we never be moved away from you. You're our quest, so we pray, may we always be on the move with you. May we never be moved away from you. May we always be on the move with you. You are our constant. You are our quest. 
And if we spend eternity still searching and searching, going deeper and deeper, how wonderful that will be. Amen and amen. And now we come to the table of the Lord. There you'll find what you're looking for. You'll find communion with Jesus. In the bread, in the wine, in the body, in the blood. Join with me in confessing our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's confess our sins and receive forgiveness. Most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is merciful to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. 